good to be with you. As he was sharing some of that, he reminded me before the service, and I forgot to do this last month, so I want to take a moment. This is a good time to do it while we're doing the offering. Um, <clears throat> I do come once a month, and um, there's several agendas, or sorry, agendas, goals the Lord's having me work on as I'm in this region with you. And so I'm here with you guys on Thursday night in the chapel, 7 o'clock. I'd encourage you, if you've never come or if you've come before and have not come in a while, to come. We're working on what he was talking about, Marcus was talking about, your destiny. Now, a lot of people always ask me, well, what is it you cover, or I haven't come, so am I going to be missing out? So let me just kind of break it down for you. There's three components from the biblical, um, from the Bible, on what destiny is. Um, a lot of passages talk about it, but we try to cover the three main areas, which is first, your identity in Christ. Second, we talk about God working with you through giftedness. So we talk about how passion and zeal work based on the kingdom and how to flow with God in that. And then third, we try to empower you to understand that God didn't just put you down here to just mark off time. He's given you a vision for transformation, and we try to help you figure that out. And so our goal isn't just to talk at you and show you information. We actually, in a classroom setting, work on those three areas, and we're trying to awaken something in you that I found to be uh, common in the body of Christ. Uh, when I first used to travel, I used to be in seminars and just ask people, how many of you know what God has called you to do? And I'd usually, in a group of three or 400 people, I'd have two people raise their hands. And I'd say, out of the three, of, uh, the three of you that raised your hands, how many of you are walking with God specifically doing that? And I'd usually get one person or no one raising their hand. So that, that, the Lord started speaking to me very specifically that there's a lot of people coming to the Lord, listening to good Bible teaching, but they're not getting on to what God has created them to do. And so he's laid a burden on me to come into this region and help you guys discover that. So if you're interested in that, please join us tomorrow night in the chapel at 7 o'clock. It's our desire, and it would be our honor to see you be all that Jesus has created you to be. If you have your Bibles, would you please grab it and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. And as we come to 1 Corinthians, it's very important... Um, very interesting, the Corinthian letters are kind of fascinating to do study on and to teach out of because they're Paul's epistles of what we would call normal church life. What does normal church life look like? What does it mean to actually be a Christian and how do you live your everyday life? And then when, do we, when we come together, how do we actually be mature instead of act dysfunctional? And so Paul is having to deal with problem after problem. I would actually say 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians aren't the most exciting on what we call theology of who God is or what he does, what we have is what we call practical living as the body of Christ, which we actually need that. Uh, Jesus and Paul give a lot of what we would call incredible statements about what it means to know God, walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and have the Holy Spirit living in our lives. But we learn by living our everyday life how to walk this out. And so these epistles uh, begin to show us problems in God's wisdom to deal with them. Now, as we come to this, I want to just introduce, you probably have already had this, but I want to introduce Paul to you again as we come to this passage, because when we read epistles or we read what the writers are writing, we have to remember two things. 
who was the person that wrote it and what was their relationship with God and their experience with God and how do we make sure we do what we call a proper contextual exegesis of the passage so that we carry who they are to you because God had certain people write these. He didn't just tell everybody to do it. He had certain people. So their experience with God is what they wanted communicated to the rest of the body of Christ. And Paul is one of these people. And so please understand, here in the Gospels, Jesus talks about eternal life. And when he begins that conversation of eternal life, the, the word for life is this Greek word called zoe. And it doesn't just mean salvation and I get to go to heaven. It's talking about a quality of life. And actually in the Greek New Testament, what was really neat about that word zoe is it actually means very specifically a lifting, lifting up into a different realm of existence. That's what eternal life is now. You get the fullness of it when you, your body dies and you go into eternity. But you're experiencing a different quality or a higher existence of life. And so the question becomes, Paul has this encounter with the Lord where the Lord actually knocks him off a horse. He's blinded. He actually sees an appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, you know, he's, he's actually blinded for three days. And Agabus comes, I'm seeing, Ananias comes and lays hands on him. He restores his sight. And then he starts having visions and encounters with the Lord. That's this person that's writing this epistle. So he's saying... Wow, I had a quality of life experience. And from that life, here's how we should live because that person is making himself known to me and saying, this is what it means to actually be at this level of existence. Now, when I say a higher quality level of existence, it doesn't mean that God considers us better than other people. It means that we're coming back to the original intent of what God wanted. So that means that where I might not have been able to love well or love my enemies, now that I have this access to grace, which is called the heart of God, I should be able to love my enemies. Where I don't have any ability to stop being a victim in this world because of this higher quality of life, I should now be, a, be victorious in Christ. And so the Bible is going to start bringing, through the Corinthian letters, it's going to be bringing up situations in life that show... When you live in the power of the flesh, that's how you live. But since you know Christ, this is how you should live. And that's what Paul is beginning to address. So here in chapter 2, I actually believe verse 3 through 5, Paul is beginning to make a statement that's very important because he's now going to address all these problems in the Corinthian church. But he's going to do it by pointing to the fact that this is by Jesus' relationship with me and by the grace of God being extended to me, this is how we're able to live. It isn't by his own ability. In fact, as we're going to look at the passage here, he's going to describe he didn't come in his own ability. Now, our goal is to say, so since Paul's had all these encounters and now he's writing to the church, he's doing apostolic ministry, he's trying to pastor people, he's raising up leaders, how does he think we should live our lives? Now let's look at the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were, worth, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. Now, Paul is just doing something here as he's beginning this epistle. He's now taking what we call the life in the flesh and the life of the spirit, and he's saying, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show a contrast between both of them. So that you as, you, as I start addressing these things in this epistle with you, you now start understanding this is what it means to actually be a believer, know the Lord Jesus Christ, and to walk in the Spirit. What does that actually look like? And so he begins to address how the, the system of this age works and how people think when they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says this. Let's go back to the passage. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So let's take the concept of weakness and fear and develop it. The very first thing that Paul is going to address is how you and I relate to people, how we model ourselves to people. And here, think about this. Here's an apostle who is seeing the risen Lord. How does he act when he is among us? Well, Paul is saying... I don't come to you, and I don't rely on my authority, and I don't say, don't you see, I've seen the risen Lord. You need to now do everything I said. He says, no, I actually come to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And by the way, the weakness and fear and much trembling isn't just the fear of man. He's not talking about the fear of man. He's actually talking about the idea of the fear of the Lord. And so when he says, I come to you in weakness, he's being very intentional to say, I don't stand up in front of you and tell you I'm victorious and you're a mess. He says, I get in front of you and I tell you my own struggles so that you can be touched by the power of God and realize I'm made out of the same substance that you are and we all need Jesus. There's a, there's a false or a, a, a weak concept or an immature concept that's taught consistently in the body of Christ. And let me see if I can kind of lay it out to you. It's acting like none of us have problems, and we believe that we're supposed to only give a positive confession, even though our life is being touched in every area of weakness, and somehow we don't talk to each other about it. The Apostle Paul is saying, no, look, you should have, you should have a mind full of hope and faith and love, but this idea that you never deal with the reality of a fallen world is a false way of looking at things. Paul's saying, no, I actually come to you and I admit, I have a problem with my eyes. My body's weak. I've been beaten many times. And he's saying, don't look at my physical body and think I have something in the natural that gives me the ability to do the things I'm doing. It comes from the power of God. And he's trying to do a really good job of grounding people's faith on what is the reality of what it means to walk with Jesus. To walk with Jesus isn't, Jesus is all-powerful, and I'm just a mess, and he doesn't help me. It's, Jesus is all-powerful, he lives inside of me, and you're going to see his ability work through me, and my goal is to make sure you understand it's him doing it, so that your faith will be in him, not me. And he begins to work through this. So he's now saying, I come to you in weakness. Now, <clears throat> for some of you, you'll think, what does this have to do with anything? If you want to deal very specifically in a group of the body of Christ, if you want to deal with the spirit of religion or the spirit of legalism, you have to become transparent with your weaknesses. 
If I begin to act like I have no problems and I'm a leader in the body of Christ and I don't get honest with people about my own struggles, what happens is people begin to say, well, look, God works through that guy. He has no problems, so I'm going to live in shame and I'm never going to talk about the things going on in my life and we're going to use a scale to rate all of us. That's called legalism. The only way that you can break the power of legalism is to get honest with your weakness. Now, not live in weakness and give excuse for weakness, but get honest with weakness. I have weakness. I need Jesus. Isn't this an amazing statement that we have to actually say to the body of Christ? You're always going to need a Savior. There's no place of perfection on this side of eternity. In fact, there's no place of what we call ultimate perfection on the other side of eternity in the sense that you're going to be God. You're never going to not need God to sustain you. So if I have weakness and I get honest with people about it and in the fear of the Lord and much trembling, I'm I'm this way before you, when I turn and step into the power of God to live my life, people can go, oh, look, it's Jesus working through this person. My faith is in Jesus, not the person. And this is really important. If you're trying to build something or you're trying to do a work for the Lord, if people believe it's your awesomeness, and you're not in touch with your own weakness, what happens is, is when you display weakness in front of them, they'll lose their faith in you and the Lord because you haven't clearly pointed them to Jesus and that you have weakness. And so this is something for leaders or if you're in a family. I remember the first time I had to confess my sins to my kids. That wasn't a lot of fun. But the Lord kind of said, you have to do this. Your kids have to see this in you. They have to see that... When you say they're forgiven for their weakness, they need to extend forgiveness to you in your weakness. And this is something that I actually had an encounter in Kansas City several years ago. Uh, I had gone to a conference they had with a guy that was, uh, him and his wife were leading the, the, what we call inner healing stuff in the Vineyard Movement out in Anaheim, California. And he had come to Kansas City and his wife was supposed to do the night session, but she got sick. And so he came and he says, well, I'm not really a teacher. The Lord only gave me one word. I love how God does this kind of stuff. He goes, the Lord just told me that um, you guys have to be honest about your weakness. And when he said that, the Spirit of the Lord came on all of us. And that was the only word he gave. There was no teaching. The Spirit of the Lord came in the middle of us. And all of a sudden, this gift of repentance came on the whole entire body of Christ. And for the next hour or two, people are coming up front and just weeping before the Lord Because we've spent so much time looking super spiritual and modeling what we call the power of God to the rest of the world. This was Kansas City's history at the time. That none of us could be honest about any weakness we had because we thought we were diminishing what the Lord was doing in the midst of us. We were creating a false sense of pride. When he said that, it broke that over us. And finally, you guys ready? All of us finally started getting counseling started working on our problems, going, this isn't right for us to just have all these messes in our life and then just act like everything's okay. Guys, ready? That isn't okay. You have to pursue wholeness. Jesus wants this for you. This is the idea of a different quality of life. And so Paul's telling you, he's modeling, I come in weakness. And then he says this, I find it fascinating. My speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom. What does he mean here? Well, he's trying to deal with 
the system of the world, and the wisdom of the world. Now, if you've ever thought through this, what does it mean to be living in the flesh or the, the idea of the system of the world? It's how people think and then how they live based on that thinking. So when we say the wisdom, the words of wisdom from the system of the world, it's how you and I live our life and try to gain wisdom outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If I know Jesus, I should be expecting break-ins from Jesus all the time where he's giving me his wisdom on how to live my life, how to love people better, how to problem-solve in my life, and giving me hope for my future. That's what it means for me to walk with Jesus. If I think I can step anywhere outside of that and get faith, hope, and love, and problem-solving, I'm going back to the wisdom of the world. And you guys ready? The wisdom of the world, after you accept Christ, is death to you. And what I mean by that is, it doesn't work. It's trying to go back and find a fountain of life that is not there anymore. It has been taken from you. By the way, system of the world doesn't bring life. Brings rebellion against the Lord. The Lord is saying, no, I've brought you to the fountain of life now. So don't go back there and try to get wisdom from that plane of existence. Get wisdom from this plane of existence. It will satisfy you. You'll be full of joy. You'll actually be happy in Jesus and loving people well if I stay in his area of wisdom. I heard a quote. Tell me if you enjoy this. Any area that I do not have hope in Jesus in that area of my life, I'm living in the system of the world. And so Jesus is trying to help us. Paul is trying to point us back to this reality again. It is God's wisdom. And he's using this plausible words of wisdom. It's really actually kind of interesting. It's the idea of having human charisma instead of spirit charisma. Now, what's the difference? Human charisma is based on your personality, being joyful in the sense of you're fun to be around, you say clever things, you, you look kind of clever when you say stuff, and you, you're able to accomplish things in the power of the flesh. Paul is pointing at that and saying that type of wisdom is false. Don't give yourself to that anymore. That type of wisdom doesn't resolve any of the things that God has called you to. It doesn't help you through anything. And he's saying, look, charisma on the fleshly level is entertaining at best. But when it comes to real life issues, that kind of charisma doesn't have the power to get you through it. Only God's charisma does. And so he, he's beginning to address that. Now look, it says on, let's keep going on in the passage, verse 4 but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So now he's saying, look, where do you need wisdom from? You need it from the Spirit. And I love how it said it. It didn't say just the Spirit or just power. It says the Spirit and power. So it's connecting the idea that anytime the power of God comes, it means the Spirit comes. Anytime the Spirit comes, the power of God comes. It's trying to make sure you never disconnect in your mind that whenever God shows up, he comes in power. In fact, we don't want to represent or present a Jesus to you without presenting the idea that Jesus comes in power when he comes. Why? Because we can present Jesus based on the culture. How do people want Jesus in the culture? They want him to be a good teacher without power, 
or they want him to be a great philosopher that gives words of wisdom, but no power. Jesus says, now look, I'll give you great teachings, and I'll give you great philosophies, but you need the raw power of God to show up. Because you don't just want to hear things of wisdom, you want to be transformed by that wisdom. You don't just want to have God say clever things to you without your life being changed. And he's connecting the idea and he's saying, now this is what it means for all the problems that we're about to address through this epistles. You need to have this foundation that it's not enough for me to tell you how to solve the problems. You need to have the power of God show up to solve the problems. Now are you guys like I am? I like God's power showing up, but then after a while, I get uncomfortable with it. Maybe some of you don't. But there's a price to pay with the power of God. Because when Jesus shows up and shows up in power, he acts like he's in control. And because he's in control, he's going to, ready? With his power, he's going to mess with your life, your reputation, and what he thinks should be done in a situation. And a lot of us are so controlling in situations, we don't like him showing up and doing that. We like him showing up and doing a couple things that make everybody happy so that everything can go evenly along, but Jesus doesn't care anything about that. And so when we say we want the power of God to show up, we're actually asking, are you guys ready? For what we call normal Christianity, or what the term is actually used in the Greek New Testament, it's called radical Christianity. That means that when we say he's actually Lord, we expect him to show up in our lives as Lord and demonstrate his power and anything that doesn't align with his kingdom and his value, he's allowed to decimate and bring it back into alignment with him. Now, are you guys like I am? I want Jesus to mess with certain things in my life, but I really don't want him messing with other things. Do you feel that tension? So three of you do. Great. All right, let's keep moving on. And so he says, he came with a demonstration of the spirit and power. So Paul is now dealing with the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age is about enemy keeping the spirit's presence down, and it's about people trying to control things that they shouldn't have any control over. Now you're going to go, well, does that mean everything's just chaos? No. Paul actually addresses how the spirit actually brings order to things, but it's different than how we bring orders to things. It means... He is Lord first, and he sets the values. I don't. I don't tell him what to do. I actually go, what do you want to do? And he's trying to say, this is the way it should be. In fact, the word for power here, you're going to find this fascinating. If you just do, it's just dunamis. It's just different terms of the word dunamis through the Greek New Testament. But let's make sure we understand this. When God saves you, he shows up in power, and the word for power is either translated power or miracles. So when God saves you, he shows up in power, a miracle happens. You're saved. That's how you start as a believer. Guess what? That's how you continue on as a believer. God shows up in power and does a miracle. Shows up in power and does a miracle. Shows up in power and does a miracle. In fact, if you look at your Christian life, you're literally experiencing one form of a miracle after another until the day you die, and then you experience the fullness of miracles because it's the power of God. I, I don't know if you guys are like this. I kind of assume this because I've been here with you guys at this church for a while. 
But I remember the first time the Lord actually came on me in power and I fell on the ground and how uncomfortable I was with that whole idea. First, I didn't understand why Jesus thought that was necessary. And two, I didn't like the idea that I actually couldn't get off the floor when I wanted to. And I remember just being really embarrassed and uncomfortable being among the body of Christ and God doing that in the midst of me. And I realized why God did it, at least in my life. He did it because I was so full of myself in a religious sense that I actually acted like I could dictate to the Lord what he should do in situations. And so the way he did it is he just drove me to the ground, just kind of left me there, and then left his power on me and said, I'm not going to let you get up until you resolve this thing about you thinking you're in control of the universe. I, I found it amazing that he did it in a very loving way, but a very powerful way. Now, if you guys consider this, think about this with me for a moment. I think sometimes God demonstrates certain things in our heart by how much power he extends to us to do things in our lives. Now, I'll just do this with the Apostle Paul so I don't step on anyone's toes. But have you ever considered why God had to demonstrate so much power to Paul to literally knock him off a horse and blind him? What was he dealing with in Paul's heart? Paul actually said he thought he was more spiritual than anybody of his age. So why did God have to do this dramatic thing in his life? Because Paul was so in love with being religious that he had major blinders, and so he had to have a major demonstration of the power of God to break the blinders off his eyes. You know, when I first started off in the Christian experience, I, I think I've been honest with you guys, I used to persecute the charismatic movement. I thought the reason that charismatics did the things they did is because they didn't understand the Greek New Testament, they didn't study theology, and they didn't know anything about church history, so they'd rather swing on chandeliers instead of studying the Greek New Testament. Isn't that just a terrible way of thinking about stuff? And, and when the Lord started dealing with me about his power, I found it very interesting that once he did it, I realized that was the spirit of the age that came into Christianity. Do you guys realize that Jesus always chooses the people that don't have degrees or don't know anything to demonstrate his power? And so he always picks what we call the weakest, simplest people on the planet to confuse this thing that goes on in the system of the age. Now, I didn't say you stay... You don't stay weak and simple and stupid. God trained you, but he's not impressed with the standard of the age at all. He thinks it's very important that love and power is demonstration because that's what you need in your life. And so he loves demonstrating his power. Now, let's keep moving on here. He says he's coming to demonstration of the spirit and power, and then he, he points it over here. He says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. All right, your faith, what you put trust in. It's very interesting. Think about this. We're in a building right now, and Jesus calls certain leaders to stand in front of you and minister the gospel to you. They're called to do it in word and in spirit. When you and I watch and observe those people, the power of God works through them, and there's something that happens to the soul when we observe the power of God work through an individual. We start thinking, wow, they're really special, or God really must love them because I'm not able to do that. And Paul is actually saying, oh, look, 
When I confess my weaknesses to you, I'm doing this for the benefit of you so that when I move in the power of God, you realize that's Jesus doing it. I don't ever put my faith in that person. Now, how do we, how do we put our faith in people? We, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but this has happened so many times in my life, I, I feel embarrassed that I've been caught by this. I think that that leader will never sin or he'll never do anything wrong. And I make these assumptions about people that are made out of the same material I'm made out of. And really, at some level, leaders shouldn't be doing some of the things. But we all need a savior. Now, this isn't a license for all of us to sin. This isn't a license for weakness that Jesus really commands us to become sanctified. But he's saying, when you put your trust in an individual that knows how to function in the power of God, instead of looking past that, that that's Jesus doing it, when that person falls, it, it wounds your heart and makes you actually do this thing called quenching the spirit and grieving the spirit when your faith is more in the person than in the Spirit. One of the most interesting times of my life I actually found is once I started praying for the sick, about 10 years into doing it, the Lord had this conversation with me. I, I was amazed. He, in a personal prayer time, the Lord starts talking to me about the guy that had trained me in the healing ministry. It was time to go beyond him. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This person has literally seen miracles happen. And the Lord said, yeah, but that's not everything that I've been doing. I want to grow you up. You need to let go of that person in your heart. Now, I still respect them, still refer to them a lot in my past, but I don't use them as Jesus and then that person. Does that make sense? I recognize for who they are. They were used as a leader in my life to influence me to connect with the Spirit, but where they're limited in the Spirit, I don't want to limit myself, and I want to keep going on with the Spirit. And so the Lord started taking me on this journey to start listening to other leaders about filling in gaps of the healing ministry and miracles that I didn't understand. I was reading through the journal. If you've never gotten this, there's this journal that's of Smith Wigglesworth. It's about like 500 pages. I was reading through it devotionally one time, and he talked about his own journey with the Lord. Now, if you guys know anything about Smith Wigglesworth, if you even know who that was, he actually stuttered. And then he got filled with the Spirit, and the Lord restored his voice, and he became this preacher. He didn't stutter anymore. And he talked about the body of Christ and the power of God. And he said, you know, I, I went, now if you guys know any of his history, he started off as a Methodist. He said, I loved hanging out with the Methodists, but I realized they, they had put a ceiling on what the power of God was able to do. So he said, I blessed them, I loved them, but I went on to the next group. And I found another group that wanted to go a little farther in the power of the Spirit. And that was, at that time, it would have been the Salvation Army. So now he's serving in the Salvation Army. He figured out more of the power of God. And then he said, and then I, then I realized they didn't want to go so far in the spirit, and they put a limit on themselves. So it's, then he said, so I went and started looking for another person. Then he realized it was the spirit telling him, look, I'm trying to get you to stop putting limitations on how much of my presence is available in your life. Now, I found that to be wise that he actually said that. He believed his faith was in Jesus first, and whatever Jesus could do, he should be able to do. Now, I don't know what that does to you guys. I've tried to be honest with you guys. In my own personal life, I have a certain scripture that literally the Lord uses it to agitate me about the power of God consistently. 
And it comes out of the, uh, John chapter 14 where Jesus says, the works I do, you shall do, and even greater works. That scripture has pursued me my whole entire life. And I find that periodically when I tell the Lord, I've done enough. I don't want to work in power anymore. I'm comfortable with how much power is working in your life. The Lord brings that scripture back to me and begins a dialogue with me. But you're to be like my son. And everything that my son did, you should strive to do. You should strive for thousands of people coming to the Lord when you preach the gospel. You should strive to do every form of miracle that Jesus did. You should be raising people from the dead consistently. I mean, are you guys doing this? And so if that's the standard, and I'm not at the standard, then there should be the Spirit in a nice way really pressing on me and going, don't give up. Do you guys ever hear that? Don't give up. Don't, don't just go with where the age is at in this stuff. I mean... Part of the body of Christ is telling you Jesus isn't even doing this anymore. So you never, ever limit your expectation of what the Spirit is able to do by what the culture says. It's by what the Scripture says. The Scripture is our standard. Paul has given it to us. He's saying, now look, here is how God, as we're going to work through this epistle, this is how God wants you to see this. He wants you to understand that it is by the power of God that you live your life. You gain wisdom from the power of God. You function in miracles by the power of God. And Paul is actually, right here in this epistle, he's actually laying down what we call the foundation for the rest of the epistle. He's saying, if you're going to live a Christian life, you're going to have to get comfortable with the power of God coming consistently because that's what it means to be a Christian. The power of God. So, he believes it's important for the Christian life. He actually lays it as a foundation of the writing of both epistles. He's going to refer to it. In fact, he's even going to teach on the wisdom of it when he gets into the gifts of the Spirit. And so he's saying, if you lack power, ask for it. If you lack breakthrough, don't settle. Um, one last thing, I'm going to stop. How many of you get comfortable with being defeated in certain areas of your life? You think, well, that's the way it is. I feel sometimes Jesus doesn't answer immediately certain things in our life, not to frustrate us, but to test our heart. Are you willing to press into this so that you can get a breakthrough? Are you willing to deal with the shame of this to get a breakthrough? Are you willing to have people make fun of you as you're trying to get a breakthrough? Are, is my breakthrough more important to you than just being comfortable? Do you guys ever sense that from the Lord? If you don't, I'm going to pray that you get that tonight. All right, let's turn our attention to prayer. Pray with me, please. Well, Lord, according to your word, we ask that you come in power now. Bring your power right now in the name of Jesus to us. Bring your goodness. Now, according to what you've just shared with us in your word, you want us to be transparent, but also demonstrate your power. Teach us how to walk in this, Lord. Teach us, as your people, how to expect this without getting into extremes or into lack when it comes to this reality. Change us, God. And bless us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um.
There was a girl that was leading worship right here. Is she still in the room? You're back there? Is that you? Would you stand just for a second? I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Oh, she is standing. <laughs> oh, boy. Now you guys know how hard it is to see when you're standing up here. I can't remember if I shared this with you before, but while you were worshiping, actually, I thought it was kind of cute. I actually saw the Lord take a CD out of heaven and roll it down. It actually came into the back of your head, and you started singing, and I saw people actually creating the CD from your songs. And I don't know if you're doing a CD right now or not, but the hand of the Lord and his favor is on you to actually do that. In fact, as you give yourself to that pursuit, there's going to be a lot of CDs that come out of you because the music he's put in you is a creative thing that has to do with the spirit of revelation that's actually going to set people free. And then I saw you at three different stages. I saw you at a stage with youth as you were singing, and they were actually coming to the Lord. And then I saw you at a stage with women, and you were singing, and they were being set free by the Lord. And then I saw you at a stage in other nations singing, and yokes were being broken over those regions, and people were coming to the Lord. So can we pray for the Lord to release that over you? You mind just putting your hands out like it's Christmas time? Holy Spirit, bring your power. Bring your presence. We just ask that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, as it comes to this gift that you've put in her life, would be released right now. And let favor come into this area of her life and let her create, let her produce, and let her release, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy over her life, and we command the blessing of the Lord upon her right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. All right. Let's work through these words of knowledge real quick. If you have a promise, problems with your sinuses, the Lord was saying specifically sinus problems or infirmities, that actually causes you to have continual sinus problems, would you stand? The Lord wants to minister to you. So sinus problems, sinus infirmities, it causes you to have consistent sinus problems. And guys, this, this, I mean, this just kind of covers everything. This has to do with sinus infections. This has to do with allergies. Any of those things, if you're dealing with them, stand. The Lord wants to minister to you. And if you're standing, would you just please extend your hands and let the Lord come? Holy Spirit, bring your power now. Bring your presence. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're not standing, would you just, all you have to do, you don't have to yell this out loud in your own heart, agree with me before the Lord when we pray these things, okay? So if I pray a certain way, just say, yes, Lord, do that. That's all you have to do in your own heart, okay? So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you'd come right now. And um, any of this that comes from a family line or a family background, we break the power of that right now in the name of Jesus. We ask that your healing power would reform their sinuses and their sinus areas right now, and you'd begin the process of restoring them, Lord. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Words that have been spoken to you, phrases by people that have looked at your physical body and have told you you won't get over this, I break the power of those words right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, that the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross would be released over their bodies right now. Restore them, Lord. Be their restorer and their wholeness right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty one. 
All right, if you you can have a seat, thank you. If there's people here dealing with asthma, so the Lord was showing me specifically breathing problems, and then he picked the word asthma. So if you have breathing problems or it's like it's hard to breathe or you do have asthma, stand, the Lord wants to minister to you. I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Please extend your hands and let's let the Lord come. Yeah, go for it. So she wanted to know if she could stand for, yeah, if you have a relative that has this, stand for him. I'm not praying for you. I'm, we're praying, believing God's going to touch him. Okay? So, Holy Spirit, come and bring your healing presence and power into their lungs right now. I break the power of weakness and infirmity over their body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we declare no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, Holy Spirit, bring your healing virtue into their bronchial tubes and restore their lungs right now in the name of Jesus. Just bring your power, Lord. And we bless your name. Now, let's just wait a few moments. More, Lord. Breathe life into them and restore them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. You're showing me that someone's right arm. It's kind of fun how he did this one. If you've had a pull or some pain in the back, it's your tricep back here. If you've had like uh, literally from the bone up or just pain in this part of your arm, would you stand? The Lord wants to minister it to you. It doesn't matter if it's the left arm or the right arm. It's just pain in your arm. If you've had pain on your, tri- your tricep or down by the bone, the Lord wants to extend his hand to you. Just please extend your hand and receive from the Lord. Holy Spirit, bring your power and your presence right now. Just bring your power, Lord. Lord, would you come into that muscle and come into the ligaments that are attached to the bone and restore them right now? In any sense of pulling or pain, I break the power of that right now in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would begin the process of restoring them. In the name of Jesus Christ. Now we just bless your name. More, Lord. More power. More of your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Is there a gentleman named Bill here? Bill. No Bill, huh? All right, so this has happened to me so many times. I'm going to just give it because I end up hearing from people. So, Bill, here's what I sense from the Lord. Felt like the Lord was saying that a hope that had been deferred in your heart, something that you had believed in for as a young man, the Lord is going to restore it to you as an older man. Uh, This dream about certain things you were going to do for the Lord, it feels like it's dropped off, and the Lord is going to come and bring his blessing over you, Bill. So just turn your heart to him and receive from him. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, last one. Is there a gentleman, Is either he's here or you know someone that's named Brett? Brett. Okay, I'm going to give this one and we'll be done. All right, Holy Spirit, come to this gentleman named Brett. Just release your power over him. 
So Brett, the Lord wants you to know that he's gonna bring a favor of his presence over your finances specifically. You do not have to be afraid of the future. The Lord is gonna meet you. He's gonna take care of you. He's gonna put his hand on what you put your hand to and you can trust him in what he's going to be doing for you. And he wants you to hear this because of his goodness towards you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, I am gonna now pronounce the blessing of the Lord upon you, and then I'm gonna turn it over to you guys. Do I need, is there someone I need to turn it over to? That dude, Marcus, right there. So you ready, Marcus? Okay, please receive the blessing of the Lord. Lord, bring your power now. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you rest. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen.